so, so let's go to, to Romans, Romans chapter um, 11. We'll talk about it. And I think I've said to you a number of times, many, many, many times, that God, God's desire um, for us is that we would grow properly, that we would not grow improperly that is have you've ever planted something like big like a tree and the tree was leaning slightly and you didn't do anything about it you say oh i'll get around to it you know a, a guy gave me one time a a, a a round little deal and he said and he read it he printed on it round to it he said that that's what uh, getting around to it means around to it he called it and so I think sometimes uh, we're like that with the planning of things. And if you leave something growing in the wrong direction too long, it's very, very difficult to straighten it up. And I have a tree like that in my house, in my front yard, and I've had a, a stake on it for a long time, trying to get that thing to grow properly. It's doing better than it was, but it's hard to get it to grow properly. And I think when Paul writes to the Romans, they are thriving in many ways, but they're living in a pagan world, a horribly pagan world. And he doesn't want them to grow up with those paganistic attitudes and thoughts and ideas. So many of us, if we're, since we have natural intelligence and we're very bright, we bring that stuff and force it into the kingdom. And it, that's not what God wants. God wants what he has done in our spirit, man, to inform what is in our soul. And so Paul is writing to the, um, the Jews and the, the, the uh, Gentiles, Christians in Rome, so that they will grow into the Lord or grow properly by the Lord or both of those. So in Romans uh, 11, I'm going to always go back a little bit. So let me go back to verses 18 and 19. Romans 10 and 18 and 19. He says, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound is going out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And so we see that Israel's rejection of God now is not total. Uh, we, we have not, as it were, replaced them. Their rejection is not total. But we have a responsibility, I believe, to make them jealous. I am not sure that we have done that to the degree that we should. I don't believe we have done that to the degree that we should. Why? Because we have not fully laid hold of the things for which Christ Jesus laid hold of us. We have not fully laid hold of it. Now, some of us may be satisfied, but I'm never satisfied like that. Uh, I am satisfied only with Jesus, and I'm still trying to apprehend more and more of him. And I trust that not only will my desire and pursuit of Jesus um, make Israel jealous, I want to make you jealous. As I told you a story, a little, uh, gave you rather an example of jealousy. Uh, I remember, uh, uh, well, I was going to say something that my wife says, but let me just tell it on me in case that's not appropriate. So um, I, I gave you the example of if my wife is 
is talking to some a male and uh, and uh, they maybe hold her hand and uh, they're talking and she acts like she really likes it. Uh, now I didn't say she has done that. She's not done that. This is an example. She's not done that. Just just for the record, she's not done. That. It would really make me jealous. And if somebody said, "Well, you're just jealous," I said, "Hey." Yeah, I'm jealous of, of what is mine. I'm not jealous if you do that to your wife or to somebody else. I'm jealous because she's mine, right? And so it, it, God, Israel was God's firstborn. And so when they see us enjoying the Lord, doing what God says, not doing what we think God says, but doing what God says, it will make them jealous. And I think that more and more, and so the church is not to be the enemy of Israel, but we ought to be the one who is really holding the hand of God. We ought to be the one that's kissing to God, enjoying Jesus, not in the way we think. Now, the problem with, with preaching like this is when I say not in the way we think, the people who are thinking wrong think they're thinking right. Invariably. So I'm saying, go to God and ask him. And, and then if, if you get the same answer you've always got, gotten, go to somebody you think is more spiritual than you. And then you'll figure it out. So, so Paul asked these questions because Israel is notorious for rejecting God. It is painful for me when I read in the Old Testament how God brought them in, out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Uh, it stretched out mightily. They were slaves in Egypt. They've been slaves for 430 years and, and they're in, slaves in Egypt and God brings them out with a, a, a man and a stick. Come on now. <laughs> that's that's mind-blowing to me. He came out with a stick in his hand. God, God brought them out of slavery and the first thing they wanted to do was to be crazy, to do whatever they wanted to do and not obey the God who had just saved them. They complained about everything but they, because they took their eyes off God and put their eyes on themselves. It's sort of like saying, I want to enjoy my life. There's no life without Jesus. And so Paul is, is asking these questions in Romans 1, 11, 1. He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? When we talk about cast away, we talk about thrusting them away or pushing them away or repelling them to drive somebody to repudiate them, to refuse them. And so he says, certainly not. He's not re rejected Israel. Certainly not. But I don't think that every believer needs to go and cater to Israel as though they're okay. We need to show forth the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're to do. We're not to now follow them because they're not following the Lord as, as a whole. I'm speaking of a, of a whole entity. He says, certainly not. God has not uh, cast away his people, not rejected them. He's not repudiated them. Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite. No, notice how Paul says that. I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was reading this and I was a little jealous. Not a whole lot, not crazy. But I was a little jealous. I thought, I'm from Gentile stuff. I wish I'd been part of that. But that's okay, because there's some good stuff in here for us Gentiles. Ali, thank you, Jesus, for being so great. Amen. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not. I like the King James who says, God forbid. Do you like that? God forbid. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not, he reiterates, cast away repudiated 
thrust away his people whom he foreknew. Whom he foreknew. Now, when we talk about foreknowledge, a lot of Christians get nervous. It's because they've not gone far enough. You know, they've not gone far enough with God. They get nervous and they want to try to stop and become denominational. They want to put up some dividing walls with foreknowledge. If anybody has the right or the ability to have foreknowledge, it's God. Because God lives in the eternal now. Yeah, he's back as far as, as time goes and beyond it. And as time, far as time goes in the other direction, he's there also right now, this moment, while he's here watching over us. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. And so to have foreknowledge is to know something beforehand. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, so we, we, we talk about foreknowledge biblically. We talk about God's uh, right to elect or choose salvation, to pre predestinate. And so we have an issue with that because we think somehow we are more important than we are. And then Paul goes on to talk about this to, Rome, to the Roman Christians because he wants them to know that God has not forsaken Gentiles coming in and floods, you know, to the kingdom and, and Jews being still stiff-necked and not wanting to, to abandon what has not worked for them all these years. Now, this is not an anti-Semitic statement. This is not anti-Semitic. To tell somebody the truth is not harmful. You know, you ought to want somebody in your life who will tell you the truth. I just want them to choose the right time. <laughs> so let, let's look at this, this foreknowledge. He says, oh, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? Okay, I want to know what the scripture says of Elijah. He says, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, do you all remember the story? You Bible students remember the story of Elijah. And he was mighty on Mount Carmel, wasn't he? He was doing a mighty job, man. Elijah was uh, there challenging the, the false prophets, the prophets of Baal, Jezebel's boys. And the boy with God doing a great thing. And then not only uh, did, uh, did God show that he was God, Jehovah, Yahweh, showed that he was God. Then afterwards, uh, uh, Elijah dealt with all those prophets. I mean, you know, wiped them out. Let's just you say that. Wiped them out. And Jezebel got word of it. And she said, by this time tomorrow, whatever you did to them, would be done to you. And that, and that mighty man of God started running. And he ran. And he ran. And then he starts to cry out to God. That's what the, Paul is saying. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. And so Paul is saying, not so. Paul is saying here, not so. And so I want us to understand this in its context. Verse 4 says, but what does the divine response say to him? What does the divine response? I've, I've taught you that salvation is, is um, a, a divine initiative that requires a divine response. Amen. Amen. That's what salvation is. And so it says, what does the d uh, divine response say to him? This is what it says. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Amen. So what he's saying to the prophet is, is that it's not what you see with your natural eyes. It's what I say. Yes. Yes. 
I have already. God didn't broadcast it, but he had 7,000 faithful people, a perfect number of, per, of people who were walking with Jesus and living righteously. Uh, walking with God and living righteously. And so, so Paul says, he uses this to explain the present condition because sometimes we don't know it all. Before I, we move from the Middle East back to uh, uh, Texas and Corpus Christi, the Lord was giving me a lot of understanding about what he had called me and my family to do. And he was talking to me about it. And I said, well, how will I know? Because I thought maybe in a few months, God will have done all these things. Have you ever been like that? You know, God gives you a word and you think that in a few months, this is going to be happening. And it's 37 years later, 37 years later, I'm still walking in it, but I'm walking it progressively. And I said, Lord, how will I know those people that you want me to have uh, like comradeship or, or, you know, like a real brotherhood and I can depend on them and, and just lay myself bare before them. He said, you will know them by their speech. Amen. They will talk like others that don't talk. Amen. And then, uh, then actually by extension, they will walk like others don't walk. Because there are those who talk, but they don't walk it out. They have a great talk. I, I, I don't like to listen to any preacher before I come to church. And there was one preacher because they were invariably damaged my heart a little bit. And I'd have to get it back again and work out the, the pain that they had caused because of their lack of sensitivity to the moving of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And, and I wouldn't. But there was one man that I, didn't, I could listen to him. He never hurt me. Bishop Gilbert Patterson. He never hurt me. He always talked about, as he would say, the Lord. The Lord. And, and it would just be such a blessing, such a blessing, whatever he shared. And I want us to be like that. I want us to be like that. I want, we, uh, I want us to be people on whom God, quote unquote, can depend. Can depend. That we're not bringing our own thing. Amen? We're not bringing our own thing. We're always bringing to him his own things. Amen. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, even so then. So Paul is comparing uh, what is going on at the present time to what has gone on in the past. And as you walk with Jesus, you're going to find out what he has done in the past, he's doing now. But it, it, it's different in, in a sense, but it's the same. I sound like I'm from East Texas, don't I? Yeah, it's different, but it's the same. It's like it's the it's the same in maybe quality. It's the it's the same, but it's different. It's like we've we've this is the same egg that I ate yesterday, but it's different. It's better. It's prepared in a different way. Uh, it seems even to be more savory. But I remember that one was very good as well. But this is how God works. He keeps doing things in superlatives. And that's what he wants us to grasp. The, the reality of God that we have had for the last 37 years, there's a newer reality. There's a fresher reality. And I'm seeing it. And I'm enjoying it. Amen. 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 Verse 5 says, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works 
Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Great wisdom there. Great wisdom there. Let's look at that. God says even uh, through Paul, even so then at this present time, there's a remnant. And he's speaking of Israel, but also I believe there's a remnant of us. And we'll, let's talk a little bit about it. A remnant means just a remainder. After everything is gone, there's something left. Uh, there's a surviving trace of a thing. Uh, we might, I use the word a lot of times. That's a vestige of something. And uh, it's a vestige of what was before. And so he says there's a vestige of, of, of what God did for Israel because there are a lot of, of Israel, Israelis or, who are now really Jews because they have been completed now because he is a Jew who is not one solely outwardly but inwardly. And so there's this remnant, he says, um, according to the election of grace. And I know there are people who say, do you believe God has chosen people? I say, absolutely. I mean, who has a right to choose other than God? Do you think God's choosing is predicated on you? Hallelujah, somebody. Sure, I believe in election. But, but let's, let's not go to absurdity with election. Let's look at it. Election, it means the act of picking out. It's the act of choosing. The act of God's freedom. And some authors might say his free will. I mean, you can just say his will. You know, we don't have to qualify it. But, but, but uh, to uh, God's free, is free by which before the foundation of the world, he dec decreed blessings on us. He decreed blessings on certain people. Uh, and this decree was made by God's choice, which he determined to bless people through Christ by grace alone. <laughs> so who has the right to choose? God. And don't stop listening because we think we, this is carnal. We think God ha has a right to choose after he sees something that we do. You and I have the ability to produce futility. Futility, nothingness. So I'm glad that God didn't choose by what he saw in my life all those years. Or in your life. So God blesses people through Christ by grace alone. Amen. And so we talk, we talk about election, we talk about God's choosing people. God doesn't need to see something before he knows something. So we think that God has to see with some kind of, you know, his eyes. We don't know, I don't, I've never known that God has eyes as it were, not like we have. But God sees everything. He sees the things that we don't think anybody sees, but God sees them. So, so God does not need to see before he knows. His righteousness does not depend on things outside of himself. His righteousness does not depend on things outside of himself. Oh, so I'm going to choose you now because you know. He is independent of the actions of others. I know the Holy Spirit gave me these things. He is independent of the actions of others. He is self-existent. And his righteousness is not something he so much has, it's who he is. And whatever God decides is righteous and just. Whatever God decides. So let's don't have this myopic, this short-sighted view that God somehow has to see before he knows. And it's unfair that God chooses because I hadn't been born yet. 
this is a beautiful thing. I'm not taking you into some air. I'm not taking you into the extremes of some denominational viewpoints. I won't call those out. You may know what they are. But I'm not doing that. <clears throat> I'm saying to you that if, if you and I were able to live in the eternal now, we would see everything from end to the beginning. Yes. Yes. And so what would be wrong with us making a decision? Absolutely nothing. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. God says he foreknew you. He knew you, the foreknowings, he knew you before you knew him. He knew you before you knew you. <laughs> and he made a choice, made a decision. Sometimes we're so, we're so uh, filled with other thoughts that we can't grasp the real thing that God wants us to have. So, so whatever he decides is righteous and just. And we talk about God. Paul says that God um, uh, chose a remnant. He says even so at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so in every generation, I taught you this some time ago, in every generation, God has chosen a remnant of people of Jewish descent. In every generation. They, they, and he calls it, Paul says, according to the election of grace. That word according, kata, has to do with what comes from election, God's sovereign choice, and grace. So let's look at God's election is choosing, picking something out uh, for blessings. And then let's look at grace. It's the word karis. Caris, uh, that which affords joy, that brings joy, that which brings pleasure, that which brings delight or sweetness. Have you ever said, uh, heard anybody say, that's a sweet person? And so that which brings sweetness, loveliness, that which brings goodwill, that which brings favor or loving kindness, uh, merciful kindness. That also, it has to do with God exerting his holy influence upon your heart. Don't you know that each one of us has, who is saved here has had God's holy influence exerted upon our hearts? We are not smarter or more sensible than our crazy friends. You know, don't look at me strangely. Every one of us grew up with some crazy friends. And suddenly we, we're smarter than they are? No. God sovereignly exerted his holy influence upon our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. And, and that's grace also that comes. It's like grace. We say, oh, by grace, or you say, we, don't, we have an idea of grace, but we have not really delved into it to know it more fully. It, the grace uh, turns us to Christ. That's what it does. It turns us to Christ. It's like, it's like we have, in all of our craziness, we have a lucid moment. And we go, God is real. Ooh, you know, we, we just discovered it, but the angels and God, they've always known. And it also keeps us, the grace keeps us, the grace strengthens us, the grace increases us in our faith. And so uh, it, it, it is, it, it's amazing. So then when we, we, we juxtapose grace and we juxt, uh, with works, we find that works uh, are a product of what I do. This con generally, we say the work of our hands is it, by my human effort, is by my human industry. Uh, I, I love my father because he always said, I, I want you to be industrious. I want you to be a person of industry. But I'm, I'm glad of that, and I have been that. But no, 
when I come before God, I'm not trying to bring my industrious spirit to God. I remember I used to, without knowing it, um, uh, give God counsel. Don't look at me strangely, you've done it. Yes. Telling God how to fix a problem. And I said, what am I doing? Paul said, who has been his counselor? I go, oh, wow. I've been trying to counsel God. I don't counsel God anymore. I don't tell him how to fix problems. I look in the word and listen to the Holy Spirit and follow the Holy Spirit. And he shows me how he has already laid it out in the word of God. And that's what he wants us to know. And that way we will grow properly. Somebody said, well, I don't know if I agree with the pastor, you know, that God gave you a head. Yeah, put it, make it, bring it in subjection. Yeah. So I'm almost finished. You're going to let me finish? I've got a lot of witnesses here, but I can't give them all. Let me just give a few of witnesses. Romans 10, uh, verses 18 and 19. I read it already, but, but let's read 19. Say, but I say, did Israel not know? Moses, first Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. I'm saying that the church of Jesus Christ, I believe in my day before I go home to be with Jesus, God is going to do something very, very powerful in the church. And, it, and if, if it's powerful enough, I just may see him coming. So I'm saying that we have to do what God gave us to do, not do what somebody who doesn't know what God says tells us what to do. Are you with me? Are you with me? I hope I'm not being too complicated. In Philippians, in, and when Paul says, and, and early on he says, uh, has God like rejected his people? He said, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jew. And what Paul is saying, uh, he gives his, uh, I'm not able to give you fully, but he gives the example of how he was a bad guy. I, I think I'm going to um, uh, maybe stop here after I say a few things, and I can do this another time, maybe in the next service. But Paul was a bad little guy, bad guy. He was, he was kind of a small of a stature, and he was always breathing out threats of slaughter against people like us. Anybody who was, who was a seed of Abraham, they fought, caught following Jesus, he, he'd go out and he'd treat them harshly. And he was so evil and that he would drag men, women, out of their homes, incarcerate them, beat them, was holding the garments of the people who killed our wonderful brother, Stephen. I didn't like him. Don't, don't shut off. I didn't like him. One day he was on a mission to do more harm to the church and a generous God, a gracious God, who is not like Don Lavelle or like you, saw him, shined his light on him, and suddenly he was changed. That's the grace of God. And it's for everybody. It's for the people you don't like. It's for the people you don't agree with. I find myself sometimes standing with people, a lot of the time, standing with people because they name the name of Christ who are diametrically opposed to what is good for me. Yeah. 
and I'm not standing with them hypocritically. It's because God told me to do it. He gave grace and mercy to this man, Paul. He says, that's how it's going to look in the day that Israel comes. Something is going to happen and they're going to see Jesus like Paul saw it. He saw it. And the light was so bright that it gave him blindness. So, but the blindness wasn't toward God. He couldn't see in the natural realm. And he needed somebody to lead him because he had only seen in the natural. But now he saw spiritually. Sometimes our natural eyes have to be dimmed or blinded so that we can see Jesus. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants from us. And Paul says, just like he did me, he's going to do it for his people. I want you to join me in helping us make Israel jealous. And if you're not born again, you can't do it. You, you're just a bystander. But I'm going to come back in a minute. And I want you to know that Jesus, Jesus wants you to come to him. So we're going to, Sister Stephanie's going to worship. We're going to come down. And we're going to serve you our communion. And everybody's welcome to join us in communion. She's going to worship. Sister Stephanie.